Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, the podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, senior pastor at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, good to be back with you uh, for our Jesus in the Old Testament series, and also uh, looking forward to, to being with you uh, next week. Uh, and our friends at the 1517 Annual Conference, it is going to be in sunny San Diego, California, uh, uh, as always. And there are many of our friends of the podcast, Gretchen Ronovic, Chad Bird will be there. Um, and and the, the podcast this year, or rather the conference this year, is going to be around uh, C.S. Lewis and his contributions uh, to the world. And so we're really excited about uh, being out there for that and being with our friends. But today we are talking about um, Jesus in the Old Testament. And one of the things we use to find Jesus in the Old Testament is a super helpful software tool. What is it, Gage? Absolutely. So we uh, are sponsored here at the podcast by um, Logos Bible Software. Uh, and it, it's really popular Bible software. We love it. I use it literally every single day um, in sermon prep and, and prepping for classes and, and doing research for my D-men, uh, doctorate of ministry classes, all those things. Uh, but one thing that we love, and this this is true for lay people and clergy alike, right? Whether you're a minister or you're just wanting to know more uh, about your Bible. One one great resource that it provides that we've actually just kind of realized we had in our arsenal here is um, a book, a resource in the library that shows you all of the uh, times that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. So if you're in Matthew, uh, you can pull up this resource and it's going to toggle along and show you exactly where all of the Old Testament quotes are in Matthew. So uh, a great idea would be um, pull up your Assurance of Pardon podcast, pick a right. book of the of the Old Testament, listen to your your best friends, Scott and Gage, um, and then pull up your Logos Bible software, which you can get through assuranceofpardon.com slash Logos and get 15% off and some additional eBooks uh, and get you a discount on that. Um, and you can pull up their, this resource and you can see where we're drawing these things from and, and see actually how all of these Old Testament books are pointing to Jesus. That's right. That's right. Well, speaking of, uh, of Old Testament books pointing to Jesus, uh, today we have made it to a book that is often referred to as the fifth gospel because it's so rich with references to Christ, and that is the book of Isaiah. So, Gage, kick us off and get us started uh, talking about how we can understand seeing Jesus and the gospel in the book of Isaiah. I will here in just a second, but I'm going to do something different real quick because uh, I know you won't do this for yourself. But one thing Scott did not mention, uh, because he's he's humble, is uh, Scott is one of our speakers at the 1517 
con- national conference in San Diego next week. So I'm looking forward to hearing my brother uh, bring us the word there. Um, and the cool part about that is if you can't make it to San Diego, and if you haven't bought a ticket yet, it is sold out. So I know you can't make it to San Diego. You actually can go on 1517.org um, and you can um, find how you can get the live stream and and follow along with us and live stream the conference as well. So just want to give that quick plug and brag on my friend here because he's not going to brag on himself. But now let's dig into Isaiah. So the cool thing about Isaiah compared to some of the other Old Testament books we've gone through up to this point is if you're trying to get a full, what they call uh, meta narrative or the big picture uh, of the scriptures, you actually could read the book of Isaiah and gain a full picture of what the entire Bible is all about. There's 66 chapters, just like there are 66 books in the Bible. And when, the way the storyline kind of flows together, it, it helps uh, put the whole big picture um, of uh, the Bible together really in one book. So that's one of the one of the cool things I love about Isaiah and an easy way in which it's pointing to Jesus. Uh, but let me kind of break this down for you. In Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, right? So chapter one through chapter 39, we really can kind of put into the category of warning and judgment that um, if you remember way back when we covered Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, God gives the people a list of blessings and a list of curses. And as he's giving them a list of blessings and a list of curses, he essentially tells the people of God, if you do these things, it will go well for you in the land. Uh, and you can be assured protection from your enemies and your crops will go well and all these things. Um, but if you continue towards idolatry and you continue to take my name in vain and you continue to not not live like called out people these things are going to happen for you and what you'll find is in the curses it's a progression to what exactly happened to the people of god in the old testament throughout the storyline of the bible from um getting conquered by their enemies to captivities to eventually what Jesus in the Olivet Discourse is going to refer to as the abomination of desolation. It's the idea that that Rome eventually is going to seize Jerusalem and destroy the temple in AD 70. But as that is kind of going through along the way, now that we've entered into Isaiah, we've entered into the prophets, right? The what's called typically called the major prophets and the minor prophets. Not that one is more important than the other, but some are larger than others. So we typically refer to the big, the big one, the bigger books as major, as major. And, the, and the smaller book as minor. Now that we've entered into the major prophet of Isaiah, what you've entered into is Isaiah is acting as almost a lawyer on behalf of God to the people, telling them, hey, you remember all the things that he said in Deuteronomy? You're pushing yourself to the point of no return, and you're you're about to enter captivity. And that's really, honestly, what the first 39 chapters are all about. Yeah, he's a covenant prosecutor. That's right. That's right. And what he's doing is, is he's Going back to, that's a great point, Scott, going back to the covenants that God has made with the people up to this point, going back to the giving of the law, and he's prosecuting them and reading their charges 
based off of what they've done in relation to the covenant, right? And so what happens along the way, though, that you start to see glimmers of hope is as the kings are corrupt and as they, you know, Hezekiah and others are making these alliances with um, these other nations and these other countries, and they're compromising themselves for the sake of protection, trying to hedge their bets and get their polit- their their lobbying across the aisle politically to try to ensure Israel's flourishing instead of trusting in the one true God to protect them and and be their king. Eventually, what you start to get is hints of a king like David that's going to come. And he's going to be the one true king who's going to protect them without the need of other nations, without and without the need of compromising uh, themselves. And this is the Messiah. This is and and he's referred to in the beginning as this this long awaited king. And then after chapter forty, kind of forty to sixty six, there's this promise of the servant, the suffering and, servant. Yes, and so what you get is. Warning and judgment in the first 39 chapters. And then kind of chapter, when you enter into the 40s, you start dealing with God's character. And there's a lot of information in in the 40s dealing with, I am the Lord. I create light and I form darkness. I create well-being and I form calamity. I am the Lord that does all these things. I am God. I work for my own glory. My glory, I I do not give to another. Although, you know, I tell the future, I send you prophets, and God's kind of doing the, a, a similar thing to what he did with Job when he kind of told Job to put on his big boy pants, we're about to have a conversation. Yeah. He's doing the same thing here in in the 40s of Isaiah, leading into the promise of a suffering servant. Um, so we're going to get through the rest of kind of the outline here, and then I want to highlight a few chapters. So as you get through 40 through 66, there's this servant, and we're going to call this servant Israel. And and there are all these details about this servant, that he um, is going to bring justice, that he's going to have the spirit of the Lord upon him, that he's going to give... Uh, sight to the blind and set the captive free and he's going to give hearing to the deaf and he's going to make the lame walk and he's going to do extraordinary things and he's going to be a king and he's but he's also going to at the same time atone for the people of God you see in chapter 6 when Isaiah essentially is called into this prophetic ministry the way in which Isaiah is called into this prophetic ministry is he enters into the temple after King Uzziah dies. And as he enters into the temple to, to mourn his friend, but also mourn the fact that Israel lost another king, um, God shows up into the temple. And if you go to chapter six, you see things like the train of God's robe fills the temple. And there's these seraphim and cherubim, these angels with six wings and with two, they cover their face. And with two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. And and God's so glorious that even the angels who are sinless have to cover their face. And all all day long, they fly around God singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This, This chapter actually has a special place in my heart. 
because this is the sermon that I was listening to when I was in high school and felt a call to ministry. But um, as this is happening, um, Isaiah does exactly what we all do. He gets a right view of who God is, holy, other, glorious, sinless. And Isaiah sees who he is in light of who God is. And what does he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And so the, one of the angels then takes a coal from the from the altar, touches his lips, but he doesn't burn him. He essentially atones or pays for or burns right. away the sin of Isaiah. And in, in some sense, God is painting a picture of what it's going to look like for the Messiah to atone for, pay for, burn away, take away the sins of the people. And although Isaiah is given an impossible task, you're going to go preach to people who aren't going to listen to you. You're going to try to talk to people who don't want to, who are blind and don't want to see. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to preach and no one's going to listen. What, what, what kind of, wouldn't you love that sort of call? Scott, you're going to be pastor to hot springs and no one is going to care. You're going to preach every single week and nothing is going to happen, right? That's, Some of us have felt that way at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody that's ever preached the gospel for an extended period of time instead of gimmicks has, has felt this, right? But that's it's happening for the sake of judgment so that when God does what he does, whether he's taking them into captivity through the Assyrians or taking them into captivity through the Babylonians, they're not going to be able to say, you didn't warn us. You didn't tell us. Right. We did. We didn't know. Right. Right. Why? Why do I bring up chapter six? Because when we get to the back half, 40 through 66, really going on in chapter 53 and 54 and 52 where where we we start to hear about this messiah the way in which the sins of the people are going to be atoned for is through the self sacrifice of this messianic king that this messianic king is going to sacrifice himself and atone for or pay for or purge away like the coal the sins of the people uh on their behalf this is the this is the law and gospel hermeneutic is that the law has to come and till the ground and make it ready for the gospel that the law has to show us that we don't measure up has to show us our our sin so that we know so that we understand our need for the gospel and so that's what's happening in these early chapters is the people's sin is being read to them and given to them so that they see Oh yes, we are an unclean people. We need we need we need mercy. Yes. Now, spoiler alert, and this will this will make even more sense when we get to Jeremiah. It, it's it's also important to know that some of these prophets overlap, right? They're mm-hmm. they're what they're what's called contemporaries, meaning they were uh, exercising the office of a prophet in the Old Testament at, around the same time. So you're going to see a little bit of an overlap sometimes with with a few of them, um, but. Uh, to finish up the outline, and then we'll get into some messianic chapters that everybody will be hopefully be familiar with. You see the the mentioning of the self sacrifice of the the suffering servant in chapter fifty two, chapter fifty three, and on. And then you see something extraordinary. It's as if the the suffering servant comes back. <laughs> he dies, and then he comes back. 
huh, I wonder who that's talking about, right? And what happens with the resurrection of the Messianic King is a period of absolute hope and peace, which makes sense because he's the Prince of Peace. And what you see uh, really in the back end of Isaiah, kind of the mid fifties all the way into the sixties, especially in, in the sixties is the, the effect of the reigning of the Messianic King on the earth. There's this new heavens, there's this, this new earth. Um, and there's all this, this, um, uh, language of hope and, and peace. I want to, I want to help our listeners sometime. Um, I want to help our listeners when, when, when they're hearing us talk about, we've, we've, we've tried to set the stage over and over again in this series that Jesus says in the, in, in the road to Emmaus, beginning with Mo, it says, in, in, it says, Luke writes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so we've said, we said this when we were, when we started this in Genesis, and we've recapped this several times that the Old Testament's about Jesus. That's mm-hmm. the claim. That's the claim that the New Testament makes about the Old Testament, that this is about Jesus, that Jesus constantly quoted the, quoted the Old Testament and then pointed to himself and goes, "That's about me. That's about me. That's about me." Um, why, why do I? Why do we belabor that point? Is because if if you have not heard the Bible explained this way, then it can a little bit sound like we're um, maybe making a paper airplane out of the text of the Bible, right? You're taking it and folding it, and you're doing origami with it to make it say something. So I want to just uh, jump over and uh, and give you. The the Isaiah is so thoroughly quoted by the New Testament authors. So um, um, in Isaiah seven fourteen, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah chapter seven. And what happens in Matthew chapter one? The angel says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, You know, um, where where else do we see this? Um, Do you remember John the Baptist? Well, Isaiah chapter 40 says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, what does Matthew uh, chapter 3 says? "For uh, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Again, we, this is just, we. Uh, here's one, Isaiah chapter nine. This is, uh, uh, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Matthew chapter 4 is going to quote that again. In a couple of months, Gage, everybody, all of our listeners are going to get a Christmas card in the mail that is going to quote Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Um, the book of if you are reading the book of Isaiah and you're not asking the question, how's this about Jesus? 
then you're missing a great deal. Go ahead, Gage. Basically, we're on the same same wavelength, brother. We're 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 thinking the same same place. Before we got too too far away from chapter nine, mm-hmm. let, let me get let me give two plugs real quick. Number sure. one, if you're not watching Charlie Brown's Christmas special during Christmas, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, because what That's you're right. going to you're going to get is uh, the great you know, the Presbyterian Charles Schultz is going to um, read for you that you read you read the beginning of it in cha- verse six of chapter nine for unto us the child is born unto us the son son is given but let's keep reading and the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be so who is this messianic king that's going to be better than the kings that they've had wonderful counselor my, mighty God. Make make no mistake about it. Jesus was not a good teacher. He wasn't just trying to preach kindness. He wasn't just trying to tell you to love your neighbor. He got killed because he claimed to be God. And Isaiah thought he was God. Everlasting father. How is it possible for, for a king to be human and to be an everlasting father? Prince of peace. Of the increase of, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the one stop never-ending, final Davidic king. He has a government, a a government, a kingdom, a rule, and a reign that will never stop growing, that will never stop growing. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's right. That's absolutely right, brother. Look, I mean, we're not going to have to vote for him again. He's going on on the throne of David and of his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal the uh, the zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this. Um, Yeah, so let's let's keep going though. What you're going to find, remember, we talked about the first thirty nine chapters are uh, judgment and warning. Um, Part of that is going to be involved with this language of Israel, like a tree, where do we think we, uh, Paul gets this idea in Romans 11 of branches that have been cut off and branches that have been grafted in talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and the church. He's getting it from Isaiah. And part of what the prophecy says is that Israel is going to be cut down and cut down again, right? The Northern kingdom, Southern kingdom captivities, and it's it's going to be the stump is going to be burned, right? So it's almost like this is happening and and, and you're not coming back from it. Um, but somehow out of this stump is going to become come a little twig, a little shoot, a little hope, right? And so chapter eleven says, "There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse." Who's Jesse? That's David's dad. Uh, and a, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he hears, but righteousness shall be the judge. He shall judge the poor and decide equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be on his belt belt of his waist. Huh? Where did Paul get this idea of a breastplate of righteousness and a, and a belt of truth? It's from Isaiah. And we could keep, we could keep going, right? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. That's that's messianic, futuristic, new heavens, new earth. But 
the, it's from Isaiah, and you may, you may have been going here, Scott, so I don't want to steal your thunder, brother. Okay. Um, it's from Isaiah that Jesus is going to read in Luke cha- chapter 4, the first time he shows up at Nazareth Temple, right? And they're going to cr- try to throw him off of a cliff for it. Because what Jesus is going to do, he's going to unroll the scroll of Isaiah and read and go, hey, guess what? This is about me. And they're going to lose their mind. Uh, we're actually in John John chapter 4 this weekend, preaching the passage right after the woman at the well, which is the second time he goes to Capernaum. And John just gives you like a quick parenthesis that says, for Jesus said, a, a prophet is not welcome in a, in his hometown. And you're kind of going, John, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Like, how does that have anything to do with what we're talking about with this uh, government official whose son is sick and and is about to die? Well, it's because it's the second time that he's come back to Capernaum and come back to Galilee and come back to Nazareth after he read Isaiah and after they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. And he just kind of walks past it. Um, So that's just one example. Uh, You know, we we could keep going. Let's get into... Just in case you're going, I don't, I still don't know, Scott and Gage. I'm not sure that Isaiah is about Jesus. Um, how about the Romans chapter 10 passage from Isaiah 52, verse 7? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news and who publish peace and who bring good news of happiness and the, and who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Where, where have we heard that before? Oh, we've heard it in Romans chapter 10 when we realize that that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. But how will they know unless they are sent? And how, and, and, and how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? And then what does Paul do? He quotes Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But then in chapter 53, 52, uh, leading into 53, let's back up to verse 13 of 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exhausted, exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance so marred and beyond human resemblance. Why would his appearance, appearance be beyond human resemblance, Scott? Uh, it, it could be that he was. Uh, it could be that he was beaten beyond recognition on um, prior to his crucifixion, and his form beyond that of children, the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle. Shout out to the Presbyterians. So so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, and for that which has not been told, they shall see. Uh, and that which has not been not heard, they shall understand. That's the exact opposite of Isaiah six, right? Um, who has believed what we he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. There's that that shoot of David language right. again, a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as for one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray 
Everyone has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity, has laid, laid on, on, him. on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. What does that sound like? That sounds like Pilate trying to get him to talk and he not saying anything. Um, like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep that was before it shears is silent, so it opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for this generation, who was considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? He died and was stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made a grave with the wicked and with a rich his, man. Yeah, made his grave with the wicked. Yeah, yeah made, sorry, made his grave with the wicked uh, and a rich man in, in his death. Well, how was he a rich man in his death? Well, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Uh, and then my favorite, verse 10, uh, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul has made an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So how how is that yeah. possible, Scott? Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, is all of this happened. We esteemed him. We crucified him. Uh, uh, two things were going on is that it was, is that uh, Jesus was sinfully crucified. Um, and yet it happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God at our, at our church this past weekend, I was preaching through the book of Proverbs and we were on a passage talking about God's sovereignty and God's sovereignty does not mean that we don't have a responsibility for what we do. And in Acts chapter two, uh, when Peter preaches, he says, this Jesus attested to you by uh, signs and wonders, you crucified by the hands of lawless men. You did it. You did it. You did it. You did it. And this happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God not only foreknew that it would happen, he planned that it would happen. That's and exactly that's, right. that's exactly what's going on in 5310. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Absolutely. So any any other things you want to highlight from, from Isaiah Scott before we land this plane? No, I think, um, you know, my, my first, the first thing that put Isaiah on my, my radar as a teenager in the late eighties, early nineties was the, the Christian heavy metal band Striper who has, <laughs> who had, uh, on their logo, uh, Isaiah 53, five by his stripes, we are healed. And I remember just thinking, I don't know what that's about, but. I like this band. They they have a song called "The Hell with the Devil," so uh, that sounds really edgy. Um, I haven't listened to Striper in a really long time, but uh, that was that. That's my uh, that's my reference to, to date myself as a as a young uh, as a as a what I saw as a young man. Yeah. Anyway, not to not to make you feel old, Scott, but you were a teenager in the late late eighties, early nineties, and I was born in eighty seven. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, yeah, so, I've, got, I've got socks older than you. <laughs> um, anyway, so this after, afternoon, um, whenever we end up posting this podcast, uh, listen, listen to Isaiah and, and or open up Isaiah, listen to the podcast and then go read Isaiah and listen to Striper. Um, so um, as we close and there's so many other passages, I mean, we just we honestly just scrape the surface of how many passages in Isaiah are quoted uh, by New Testament guys. So use that tool in Logos and, and just, it, it, you can honestly spend the, the neck, the rest of the year 
just studying the book of Isaiah and seeing how how many times it's quoted in the old uh, the New Testament and seeing how those pieces run together. But let me let me read just this this one passage for you. Isaiah 66 verse 12. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. Um so the way the story of the Bible ends is the new Jerusalem comes down, uh, descending like a city, and um, it's beautiful and it's spotless like a bride on a wedding day, and the and the lamb has a has a marriage with his bride, the church, and there's a marriage supper, and it then it, then you see basically the Garden of Eden is put back together, and the people of God are, are dwelling back in a garden. And one of the things that it says is there's this tree of life and from it flows the river of God and and it's giving water to the nations and on the leaves of the tree, the leaves heal the nations. This is exactly what Isaiah 66 is talking about, that the glory, the glory of God is going to flow um, out to the nations like an overflowing stream. This is the way the story is going to end. God's going to make all things new and he's going to restore things and make it right again. And he's going to do it through his Messiah. That's what Isaiah is all about. Amen. Folks, we hope this has been helpful. Um, This is this is one of the easier um, Old Testament books that we can use to show you Jesus. I mean, it is it's you can't you can't read very many verses without you seeing uh, uh, you can't read any chapter, I don't think, without saying, "Oh, that that's quoted in the New Testament. That's quoted in the New Testament. That's quoted in the New Testament." It is, it is replete. And again, this is why it is sort of referred to as the fifth gospel because it's, it is so thorough. And uh, I'll say this before we close: sometimes people will say, "But Isaiah would have had no way of knowing that he was talking about Jesus." And so you've got an authorial intent question of you're saying this is about Jesus, but Isaiah might not have thought that. Hey, friend, remember, as Christians, we believe the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. <laughs> the yes, Holy Spirit is the author. Right. Yeah, the Holy right. Spirit knows what the what he's doing. Yep. Uh, and and ultimately, that's the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author. Well, and and and, and just to back that up, for, uh, Peter tells you in his epistles that these writers were writing for your benefit that's right that, that that although they didn't fully understand what it is exactly they were saying and writing at times that they they wrote with a longing to see what was happening be fulfilled and Isaiah um proves himself to be a true prophet because I hundred percent of what he said came true. Uh, right. And and so e- even if Isaiah, just like David, just like Moses, doesn't fully understand um, what does it mean that that my throne is never going to end and all my descendants are going to sit on this throne? What does it mean that there's going to be a prophet that's going to come after Moses, uh, that's going to be like Moses? Um, they may not have known all the intricacies and the details, but they look forward to the fulfillment of, of the Messiah where we see uh, his fulfillment in Jesus.
That's exactly right. That's that's First Peter. Uh, that's First Peter. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Folks, we hope this has been helpful. Uh, we hope that you will um, um, share this with a friend, uh, like, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And uh, uh, Gage, how can people get a hold of us? Absolutely. Of course, you, we mentioned you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, you can also hit us up at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. We'd love to get your emails and correspond with you as listeners. Um, you can uh, also, if you're in the area of Hot Springs or Dyersburg, hit us up. We'd love to grab coffee with you. We'd love to, love to talk more. Um, and uh, you can always reach out at assuranceofpardon.com um, and uh, message us through the website. And until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.